Today we're going to be looking at a topic that is uh, something I'm not overly excited about talking about. Um, this is a topic that has been confronted in my life recently. And so I'm, I'm standing up here today not telling you to do what I do, but I'm standing up here today to say, God, God, would you speak to me and would you speak to all of us in here today? Uh, we're going to look at a topic uh, of anger. Anger. Uh, just tell you a little bit about where I am in life. It's been a long season for us. Uh, not only uh, is there me and my wife, we've got five kids. Uh, we've got um, all these things that go on with having five kids. We've got uh, a church that we're involved in. We've got jobs. We've got all these things that we're doing. And then on top of that, we had this crazy idea to build a house. And so uh, it seems like there's all these things that are piling on our plate. And what happens is that stress level continues to raise, continues to rise. And then we've got deadlines on the house and we've got things that have to happen and the stress level just continues to to fall on my plate to the point where i'm not sleeping very good at night and so within the last probably week or two i will probably say that every member of my family has had a verbal blow up from me and i'm not saying that to say oh poor me i'm i'm confessing that to you church is a safe place we're supposed to be able to be honest with where we are and so in fact this last week uh, my poor wife we're, we're, we're trying to hang the, the, the little holder that holds your towel when you're drying your hands in the bathroom. You know, the little ring you put the towel in. You know what I'm talking about? So we're trying to figure out where it goes. And I'm holding the tape and she's grabbing the tape. And no, and, he, and I, I just, I threw the tape measure and was like, do it. You know, fighting over who holds the tape measure. And it was so dumb. And I got done and I was like, man, like, who is that guy? That's, that's not me. Had to go back and they had to apologize and try and, and make things right. And I'm proud of that. In fact, if somebody else were to talk to my wife the way that I talk to her, like I'd be getting up in their face and I'd be saying, let's take this outside. Like it would be that big of a deal. But here I was, acting a way that I didn't even recognize. Any of you ever have a moment like that where, where you just respond in a way, you're like, like, who was that? Like, I don't even know who that, that's not me. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you just respond that way. Now, I know some of you in here are saying, well, that's, oh, that would never be me. I, I would never respond that way. I would never be angry. Because we, when we think of anger, we think of that movie Inside Out. You know, you've got the five little characters and you've got anger. He's a red-faced guy. And he's the guy that when he gets heated and, and, and his blood pressure begins to rise and he starts spewing fire all around, you know that guy, he starts yelling, he punches the wall, he kicks the cat, not the dog, he kicks the cat because he's angry. And we think, well, that's anger. Anger is rage, right? Not quite. That's not a complete definition of anger. If you were to define what anger is, look in the dictionary. This is the definition for anger. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure or belligerence caused by a wrong. That's what anger is. And so what we're going to see is, is I, want you to, I want you to think about your life. I want you to be honest with, with where you are right now, where you are in life. And I want you to think, maybe, maybe think about your boss. Maybe you work for a jerk. Maybe you've got a boss who's just a bad guy to work for. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, teenagers, maybe you've got that parent that is always on your case. You've got those siblings that are always getting in your stuff. At least that's how it was when I was growing up with my siblings. Maybe... Uh, maybe you've got that noisy neighbor, that nosy neighbor who lives next door to you, who's always trying to get up in your business. 
And then that neighbor who doesn't ever mow his yard or trim his trees and his house looks just a mess. I've got one of those. Just kidding. Maybe you've got that family member who's always criticizing every choice that you make, saying you did this wrong, you did that wrong. Maybe you've got that that teacher, that spouse that will never be satisfied with anything you do. Okay? I want you to picture this because anger is going to display itself in, in many different ways. So I want you to to have that person in your mind, and I want you to listen to these other displays of anger. And I want you to think about these and think, uh, do any of these define your interactions or your attitude towards those people around you? Okay, so these are all displays of anger. I want you to think about these and think, are any of these characterizing the attitude I have towards the people around me? Do you resort to name-calling? I mean, like, like when you're driving on the road, And you've got the person who's tailgating you or the person who doesn't know how to use their blinker or the person who's going too fast or the person who's going too slow. I I mean, I just described how some of you drive. I'm not trying to. But but when you're driving down the road and that person drives like that, do you just in your car yell, you're an idiot. You you moron. You have name calling that you call people. Do you withdraw? Do you have that person who, who upsets you? And so you decide, I'm going to withdraw from you. And you're going to say, I'm, I'm not going to give you the pleasure of being around this awesomeness right here. That's me. So I'm going to punish you by withdrawing my presence and my peace from being around you. Right? Some of you, there, there's, there's conviction in the room right now. Uh, how many of you guys pout? You get upset. Something goes wrong. Obviously, something's wrong. Hey, is everything okay? Yep, nothing's wrong. I'm fine. How many of you pout? That's anger. What about a critical spirit? Critical people are those who refuse to let other people experience the pleasure of the things all around them. They are quick to point out weaknesses and failures and shortcomings. In essence, a critical person wants to drag you into their bitterness. Resentment, bitterness. How about this complaining under your breath? All of these are displays of anger. And then you throw in stress to any situation. You throw in a, a new job. You throw in a, a new house. You throw in financial concerns. You throw in being tired. And that fuels the anger that burns inside of you and, and manifests itself in all these different ways. How many of you can picture yourself in one of those situations? See, when we consider that broader definition of anger, if you and I are going to be really honest, I think anger is something that touches just about everybody's life, everybody's uh, situation. And this is where I want to recognize that this is where I feel like God is going to help me today. Because if you're sitting there and saying, hey, I, I know what that's like. I, I'm in that situation where, where I see some of those play out in my life. It makes me feel a lot better. What, not because that makes me a better person, but because it means all of us are in here, we're wicked together. And when we can acknowledge that we are wicked together, then we can come before God and God can begin to do some work in our heart and in our life. And that's my prayer for me today. And I hope that's your prayer for yourself is that God would do a work in your heart to deal with the anger that many of us are, are wrestling with. So we're in 
Matthew chapter 5, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've come to a point on the Sermon on the Mount where there are some very hard sayings that Jesus is going to give. Some words that are very challenging to, to live by. Incredibly hard. But here's the cool thing, is if we are going to be honest with ourselves over the next couple of weeks, these words that Jesus says to us are actually going to be very freeing. There's going to be freedom found through those. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Before we jump in, though, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. God, we just come before you today, and Lord, I just pray that we would be honest with ourselves today, honest before you. That God, as we deal with some of these hard scenarios and hard situations, that Lord, that you would convict us. That God, you would call us out where we need to be called out. That God, the areas that we're not there yet, that you would grow us and stretch us. And that we'd understand that none of us in this room are there yet. We're all in this process. So Lord, I pray that you would draw us deeper here today. I pray, Lord, that there'd be healing. I pray, Lord, that there'd be victory today, Jesus. I pray for your presence on us now, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it says, uh, this is Jesus preaching, and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable, liable to judgment. So Jesus just said, that's the sixth commandment. Like, we know the Ten Commandments. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus is saying, that's true. If you murder, you are going to be, to, to be held towards uh, judgment. Judged by God. And, but what he's saying is, murder is, is an outward action. It's something that you do. And what Jesus is going to say, we don't want to just deal with the outward action. That's what the Pharisees did. They never were able to deal with the heart issue. And Jesus is going to say, it's not just the outward action we have to deal with. It's the heart issue. We've got to be able to deal with the heart issue. In this case, it happens to be anger. Something I want us to recognize about anger is, is, is we talk about freedom. Anger is something that we can be enslaved to, can, can we not? Can't we be controlled by the anger in our heart and in our life? And that's what Jesus wants to address. And so he says in verse 22, he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whew. That's the hard word. Whosoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now listen, we hear those words, and I don't know about you, but it's kind of like the wind just got taken out of my lungs. I'm like, that's a hard word. Anybody who has anger at another is going to be held liable to judgment. But this is actually, I want you to see these words as being very beautiful. Because they're going to give us the love of Jesus. Because again, Jesus, he wants us to experience freedom. And, and you and I, we might not murder somebody. We may not be actually in, the, in the, the action, the motive of actually doing that. But he wants us to be free from the heart issue that leads to the outward action. He wants to change us in that way. And that is beautiful. Now, I know we're in this situation where we're looking at anger. And some of you are sitting there and you're going to justify and say, well, you know, I have righteous anger. My anger is okay because I have righteous anger. And the Bible talks about righteous anger, right? It does. Like the Bible does say we can have a, a righteous anger. But there's a difference between this righteous anger and an unrighteous anger. A righteous anger is an anger towards sin and injustice. A righteous anger is when God has been attacked, when God has been hurt. And you know what the other type of anger is? 
It's the anger when you and I have been hurt, when you and I have been offended. And, and, and if we're going to be honest with ourselves, like that's typically the type of anger that we have. In fact, if you were to say, hey, pastor, you know, I had this blow up this past week with my spouse or my coworker, and I was kind of hoping like maybe that's righteous anger. And I'm just going to say, like, without knowing all the details, it probably wasn't righteous anger. It just probably wasn't. I'm just going to throw that out there. So how does, how does the anger flesh itself out? We've got this anger issue. And Jesus says in verse 22, here's how it fleshes itself out. It says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, whoever says, you fool. Now, let me just clarify. Jesus is not giving us a new F word that we're not supposed to say. Fool is not the new F word. He's giving us an example uh, uh, of what we do and how we attack someone else. Uh, we may use other words like idiot or, or moron or whatever term you would call your brother or your sister growing up. You might call him a King James Version donkey. Whatever it is, it's an insult. It's, it's name calling someone else. Now, most of us, we lack the courage to actually name call someone to their face. And so we have this other way of name calling, which is where we call them names to other people. And we kind of do it behind their back, right? Right? Some of us in here today. But here's, here's the problem. is when Jesus says this word insult, it actually is this word uh, raka. And here's, here's what that word means. It means to demote another person to a level of, no, of nothing. Now that's what it is when we insult somebody, when we name call them, is we demote them to a uh, level of nothing. So this is where when we have a perceived wrong, we feel like somebody has wronged us, we define the other person's value by a single negative term. Somebody r- cuts me off on the road and I'm like, you're a jerk. Somebody says something you mean to me, yeah, you're an idiot. And we demote them and their value by whatever term that we ascribe to them. And we might feel justified. Sometimes we might be justified in, in, in exchanging that value to them. But oftentimes it's limited. We don't know the whole story. And so we don't view that person the way that God views them. We view them in that negative term because we're angry, because we're hurt. And so we're going to make ourselves feel better by giving them this negative term and changing their value. Think about it this way. Think about how when you go to a restaurant, you have that first impression of that restaurant. Or maybe the second impression, or maybe you've been there a long time. And and you have this impression of a restaurant. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to change that impression? So my wife, or excuse me, my daughter, she's 10 years old, and her and I got to get dressed up last night and go on a daddy-daughter date. And it was fun. We, she wore a pretty dress, and I wore a vest. It looked really nice. We looked good together. And she says, well, let's go out to dinner. Let's go to Olive Garden. So we went to Olive Garden. And if you were to say, well, Kevin, describe your experience, this is how I would describe the experience. Is I got to sit next to the most pretty red-haired little girl I ever saw. And we had really slow service. That's how I would define our experience. It was, it was great to be with her, but the restaurant w- was really slow. Like, they have this thing on their menu that says never-ending uh, breadsticks, right? Like, those breadsticks are baked goodness. And, and when I go there and I see never-ending breadsticks, like, I want, why do I have to wait 30 minutes to get my breadsticks? That does not seem like there's never-ending. Like, I want my breadsticks like when you go to a Mexican restaurant and they bring you the chips and salsa and, like, keep coming. I want them keep, I, Like, I, that's what I want for my breadsticks. I want to get full on those breadsticks because they're that good. 
But we had to wait for the breadsticks. We had to, the waitress had to come ask a couple times, hey, let me clarify what you ordered. And, and, and then the drinks were late, and the soup was late. And, and, and if you were to ask me to define my experience last night, I would say it was very slow. That's how I define it. Now, I could ascribe that onto them and, and, and diminish their value without understanding the whole situation, without recognizing that maybe they're not normally slow. Maybe it was a really busy night. And there was probably 25 people waiting in the, in, the, uh, in the entryway to find a place to sit. Maybe there's a lot of people there that night. A lot of dads trying to take their daughters on a date to go to the father-daughter dance. But the moment that we begin to demote their value by ascribing them this term, doesn't that cloud our entire view? Where I can be oblivious to everything else that happened at Olive Garden because the service was slow. Because I've already... I've already lowered their value by that. And so we cloud our judgment when we ascribe words like this to people, when we describe them that way. We, we completely diminish the, their God-given uh, value, and we give them value them ourselves. And not only, not only does that affect how I view that person, but oftentimes that affects how other people view them as well. Because when I go and somebody says, how was Olive Garden, I'm going to stand in front of a hundred people at church and say they had slow service. And that immediately puts something into your mind of Olive Garden, they've got slow service. That's what I've heard. And so you already have this idea in your mind. And so not only am I diminishing the value of myself, but now I've diminished their value in front of all these people here today. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When there's anger in our heart and we begin to, to allow that to reside and we have these uh, value judgments we place on people, that we're affecting them. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Do a vocabulary assessment this, this week. Think about uh, the terms that you use to describe other people when you are angry or when you are frustrated. Do a little inventory. Think about the words that your kids hear when somebody drives in front of you and cuts you off on the road. Think about the words the people around you hear you describe uh, those. See, as Christians, we're to recognize that there's a God-given value on every person that God's created. And we're trying to change their value because we're upset. So take that assessment and consider the words that you use around other people. And let's commit as Christians to removing those harsh terms out of our vocabulary and say, I I refuse to call this person that because I recognize that God has a different value on them. So this is a hard word that Jesus gave us. He says, if you have anger towards another, you're going to be liable to judgment. I want you to just let that sink in about how difficult of a scenario that is. Because if any any of you in here today without any anger, any of you go a whole week without any anger that rose up in you? Let that sink in about how difficult that is. He just said, if we have anger with another person, we're just as guilty as if we've murdered them. Man, that's, that's hard. Like, I, I feel that. I feel the weight of that. This is such an incredible demand that Jesus is giving us. And the question I have to ask is, well, why, why is this so important to Jesus? Why does he make such a big deal out of anger? And there's two reasons I want to give you. Two reasons why Jesus makes such a big deal out of anger. The first one is when we allow anger in our heart, it gives our enemy a foothold into our life. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And verse 27, I want you to hear this, and give no opportunity to the devil. See, our, our enemy is Satan. And the Bible describes him as a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And what Paul just said is when we have anger in our heart, when we allow anger to reside in us, that becomes an entry point for Satan into our life. That becomes a, a sticking point that he can find his way into our heart and into our life. You see, it's, it, I would say that anger is a, is a gateway sin. We've heard the idea of a gateway drug, about how you have one drug and it leads to another drug. Anger would be a gateway sin. When you allow anger into your life and you let it fester, it leads to other things. It leads to other dumb things. It's just the way it works. In fact, this may surprise you, but I'm not much of a physical fighter. I know some of you are saying, I would not picture that from you, Kevin. Like you were like an MMA guy, something like that. I've been in two physical fights in my entire life. Okay. The first one, I don't really count. The first, was in the, the first one was in third grade against a foreign exchange student. Let me tell you, the only reason I got in a fight with him is because I had a third grade girlfriend. And in third grade, you're afraid to talk to the girls. So I had this girlfriend and we never talked. And here comes this exchange student with his cool accent. And he's talking to my girlfriend. So we grabbed, I don't think we threw any punches. We just grabbed each other and rolled down the hill together. And I got sent to the principal's office in tears because I got in a fight. It was horrible. Oh, that was my first fight. My, my second fight, the only other fight I've been in, I was a wrestler in high school. We were, I was a lower weight class, the skinny guys. That's where I wrestle. That's where I was. It's true. And uh, uh, I, I forget what year it was. I was wrestling against a guy from Moses Lake. And this guy from Moses Lake, we're in weigh-ins, and he, he's just arrogant, just the way he walks. He kind of talks a little bit of smack to me as we're doing the weigh-in. I'm like, what's up with this guy? Like, like I can't wait to get him on the mat. He's a guy I should have beaten. He's a guy I was supposed to beat. And so we start wrestling, and we're, we're going at it, and he pinches me. And I'm like, what the heck? You just, and he did it again. Now, my blood pressure starts rising. And I'm getting angry, and I'm like, oh, no, you don't, buddy. So I get this, like, focus, and I'm just attacking him. And I'm coming right at him, and he puts me in this fireman's carry and throws me down on the mat. Two points takedown. And he lets me up. And I'm, I'm like, oh, no way. And I get up, and I do it again. He does the same thing, puts me in this carry, throws me down on the mat, and lets me go another two points. Okay? Like, I was so enraged. I kept doing the same dumb thing, and he kept putting me in the same move, getting me taken down, and letting me go. I lost that match by 14 points to a guy I should have beaten because I got angry. Because when you get angry, anger leads to this and anger leads to that. Right? You understand how that works. When you're angry, it leads to you insulting someone else. You may not normally do that, but you do it. When you're angry, you start yelling. When you're angry, you might fly into a rage. And listen, we can justify all sorts of things when we're angry. Well, I only did this because you did this to me and, and you set me off. And that's called justification. Because we've allowed anger into our heart. And the anger is a gateway drug. It's a foothold for the enemy to lead us in all sorts of other places. And you can't justify your response based on someone else. 
Because when we allow anger into our heart, it's a gateway sin. It's going to lead to the enemy leading us to other areas that we shouldn't be. Second reason why Jesus is so serious about anger is not only does it give our enemy a foothold, but it, all, it also has the ability not, to just to destroy, not just to destroy you, but it also has the ability to destroy those around you. Right? Hebrews chapter 12 says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness uh, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and the root of bitterness, uh, and no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. By bitterness, by anger, it says many become defiled. Isn't it true that misery loves company? I mean, isn't that true? Isn't that why we withdraw when we're angry? Somebody mistreats us. We think, okay, I'm going to withdraw my presence from you because I want you to be miserable because you made me miserable. You made me upset, so I want you to be upset. I want you to, I want you to feel it, right? We become angry evangelists when we're upset, right? This is where uh, th- that saying goes, one bad apple ruins the whole company. When we're angry, we invite others into our anger. Here's, here's another example of what that looks like. Now, I've been in uh, ministry, Christian ministry, for 15 years. I don't know, something like that, somewhere around there, 12, 15 years. And when you've been in ministry for a season, uh, you get burned a few times. You have leaders who fail to live up to the expectations that they're supposed to fulfill. Uh, you have people who hurt you. You have people who leave you disappointed. And when you go through some of those things, you can't help but be a little bit jaded. You can't help but carry a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, a little bit of resentment. And I'll be honest, there's some of those inside of me. And so this last year, we brought Jacob Heed on staff. And Jacob is a kid who's, who's a kid. He's not, he's got two kids of his own. He's not much of a kid anymore. But this was Jacob's full-time ministry role. And I'll be honest, Jacob comes in, and there's a little bit of joy to being in ministry. There's a wonder, there's, there's a, a, a passion of him coming in, of thinking, this is all we can do, this is amazing. And listen, listen. I don't want him to lose that. I don't want to take my jadedness and put that on him to say, hey, Jake, you need to be careful because people are going to cross you. I don't want to take my chip on my shoulder and say, listen, you can't trust everybody around you because some of them are going to hurt you. See, I don't, I don't want to pop that bubble for him. I want him to walk into ministry thinking this is amazing. God's going to do tremendous things because I do believe God will do tremendous things. I just don't want to pass on my jadedness onto him. I want him to come in and have that passion and that wonder of this is amazing. You see what we're doing here? Think about the chips on your shoulder. Think about the hard things you've been through and how they've made you a little bit jaded. Maybe towards a workplace. Maybe towards someone in your family. Maybe towards marriage. Maybe towards family, whatever it happens to be. Think about about the resentments in your heart. The The wounds that you've had to experience. Listen, do you really want to drag the people around you into that? Do you want to drag your kids through all those resentments? Do you want to drag your spouse through those old wounds? 
because you have a jaded view? Listen, you don't want to be that guy. And this is why we've got to deal with anger. Because if we've left, if we leave our anger undealt with, listen, it's going to cloud everybody around us. It's going to affect everyone around us. And here's, here's where we get to the point where we've dealt with this issue of anger. I feel like we've, we've talked about it pretty clearly. Unfortunately, this text isn't going to give us an answer about what do we do with our anger. It doesn't say, here's how you overcome anger. So I'm going to just throw this out to you. This is free. You don't have to pay for this. It's just something a little extra, extra for you today. I think anger, anger comes from this idea uh, that all of us think we're pretty awesome, right? All of us think we're pretty awesome. We think the world revolves around me, and I'm the center of the world. And so what happens is when, when my wishes are not recognized, when my rights are, are violated, when somebody doesn't do the things the way I think they should do, that's when we get angry. That's where the anger comes from, when my wishes, when my rights are violated. But what if this? Okay, what if? What if the world does not really revolve around you? What if the world really revolved around Jesus? What if the world revolved around Jesus and his will and what God wants to accomplish through him? What if we lived our life where my will wasn't the primary thing that everything else was supposed to serve, but it was really God's will, and our life serves that? Because when we recognize this, this is a term, it's not about me, a term I love, a term I have to remind myself all the time, it's not about me. Because when I live my life with that thought in mind, my focus no longer is, is on me. It's not on my wants. It's not on my desires. It's not on my rights. Now, it's on God. And what God desires. And what God wants. And so pretty soon, I'm not angry when things don't go the way I think they should. Because I recognize it's not about me. And God's got a plan. And God's got a purpose. And God's doing things. And I can trust myself to that. What if you and I lived the world, lived our life, as if it wasn't about me. Think some of our anger would change? Think we'd view people a little bit differently? If we recognize this idea that life is not all about you? But here's what Jesus does say. He deals with this issue of anger. He says, if you have anger and you're guilty before God, and now he's going to tell us something important. This is something I want you to, to actually write this down. Because when there's anger, oftentimes there can be broken relationships. There can be hardships. And so what Jesus is going to tell us is that pursuing reconciliation is required for righteousness. He's going to give us two examples of what it looks like for us to pursue reconciliation. It's all about reconciliation. He says in verse 25, 23, because anger is so dear, dangerous, if you are offering your gift at the altar, you're at church, you're coming to bring your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. He says, if you're at church, and, and you're there to worship God, and when you're there, you remember, hey, somebody's angry with me. Who, who, who's the one that's angry? Is it you or the other person? Now, he says, if somebody is angry at you, 
He says, I want you to, to stop. I want you to pause, church. I want you to walk out. And I want you to go and try and make that relationship right. To right the wrong that's been done. To seek reconciliation. And notice who he puts that responsibility on. He puts that responsibility on us. The other person's upset. They've got the problem. And whose responsibility is to make it right? Us. The responsibility is on us. This is where someone is angry because maybe we've, we've sinned against them. Or maybe they're angry. Maybe we haven't sinned against them. Maybe, may, maybe they're just some perceived problem that they have. But they're upset with us for whatever reason. Jesus says, you and I are supposed to go and make it right. We're supposed to go and own what we can own. We need to take responsibility for what we can take responsibility for. I mean, I tell this with my kids. When my kids are in an argument, it takes two to tangle, right? And so we're supposed to go and take whatever responsibility that we can take. And not only that, I think we're supposed to take a little bit more responsibility than we're even supposed to. I think we go above and beyond. I think we own more than we can own. And why is that? Because Jesus is trying to help us to understand the importance of reconciliation. Of restoring the broken relationships around us. So when we're at church, we stop. We go and we make that a priority to bring reconciliation, to fix the wrong. We, we take responsibility for what we've done. We take more responsibility than we deserve in order to, to bring that recon, reconciliation to that relationship and to glorify our God in heaven. See, what happens is, is we, can, we get good at hiding at church, right? We get good at going to church, and we, we feel so good, we almost like, we, we, we break our arms trying to pat ourselves on the back. Like, I went to church, and I served, up on the, I served on the setup and teardown team, so I'm really good today. God's really happy with me. There's always an opportunity to serve on the setup and teardown team. I'll just say that. We're a portable church. If you want to help set together some stuff together, we'd love to have you. But I went to church, and I feel really good because I served in the nursery ministry and because I put $20 in the offering. And I feel really good about myself. And so God's going to ignore all the broken relationships around me, all the people that are upset at me. God doesn't really care about that because he's happy I went to church. Listen, attending church by itself will never produce a clear conscience. You understand that? Just coming to church will never give you the clear conscience that you want. In fact, this is why sometimes our prayers aren't answered. Because there is an offense between us and someone else that we are unwilling to do anything about. Do you understand that? How important these relationships are? Jesus is so serious about reconciliation that I think the expectation is that you and I be willing to take more responsibility than we actually have to. In fact, actually think about it this way. Think about who gave us the example of taking more responsibility than he owned, than he needed to take. Isn't it Jesus himself? Didn't Jesus take more responsibility for us than any of us deserved? I mean, I mean think about this. God saved you. When you brought nothing to the table. Like God took all of your junk. He took all of your sin. He, he took responsibility for it on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sin. He absorbed it. And why did he do that? So we can be reconciled with God. It all comes back to this idea about reconciliation. 
And so Jesus now, because he's done that, he's looking at us and saying, reflect me. Take initiative to to seek reconciliation to the broken relationships around you. Own more than you have to in order to bring reconciliation. This is the example he gave us. The second example, verse 25, Jesus says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. He says, Truly I say to you, you will never get out until the Uh, You have paid the last penny. See, the key here that Jesus is trying to say is you and I need to come to terms quickly. We need to be willing to go and restore those relationships quickly and diligently. Not let it grow. Not let it fester. It's kind of like having gangrene. You know what happens with gangrene? It just spreads, right? It just goes and, and takes over. And this is what happens when we don't, uh, when we wait and we say, I'll, I'll do that some other time. Our anger, our resentment, it grows, creates that divide so much bigger. Where at first it was just a, a little crack and then it becomes a bigger, then it becomes a Grand Canyon. I think, is there any hope for this relationship? Because the longer it goes, the more difficult reconciliation is. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if you wait, that is going to grow like cancer. And inevitably, it's going to catch up to you. And that's where Jesus says, you will pay the maximum penalty. You will pay every last penny. You will pay the maximum penalty if you don't deal with these relationships quickly and diligently. Don't wait for the perfect time. Don't postpone it. Just go and try and restore that relationship. So we've talked reconciliation. What I want to do now is I want to give you just some some steps. Jesus says we're supposed to have reconciliation. If somebody's mad at us or we're mad at somebody else, we're supposed to go and try and restore the relationship. So I want to give you four steps to do that, four steps to walk through to bring reconciliation to a relationship. And let me clarify, when I talk about reconciliation— Reconciliation is not cheap passivity that pretends like nothing happened. You don't have to pretend like, hey, there wasn't an issue between us, and we'll just move on and forget it ever. That's not what, uh, that's not what reconciliation is. Reconciliation doesn't mean that you have to immediately trust the other person the same way you did before if they've broken your trust. That's not what uh, reconciliation means. What reconciliation is, is reconciliation is evidence that you are living the Beatitudes that you recognize that you are poor in spirit, that all of us are broken. All of us have done things to hurt other people. It's a recognition that God calls us to be peacemakers in the relationships around us. This is how you and I become salt and light in the world to reflect God's glory, to reflect his love and his grace and his mercy and bringing reconciliation. Fourth. Four steps to reconciliation. The first step is to start with humility. Listen, your demeanor matters, doesn't it? Your demeanor absolutely matters. This is something we teach to our kids time and time again. When I say, hey, go say sorry to your brother. Sorry. That doesn't fly in my house. That doesn't really mean you're sorry. Your demeanor matters. And so you have to approach, if you approach with a spirit of power, 
If you approach with a spirit of authority, of intimidation, of self-righteousness, of arrogance, listen, that action speaks louder than anything you're going to say. And that person is going to say, yeah, you're saying these words, but I'm not hearing them because your actions speak so much louder. We have to approach with a humble spirit, with a soft heart. This is where Jesus says we need to be poor in spirit, recognize our brokenness and our dependence on God. We're all broken. That person that wronged you, they're just as broken as you are. So you, you have to approach with a, with a spirit of, of, of humility. Listen, this also works when you, down the road. Let's say down the road you go in and try and bring reconciliation to somebody, and they're not ready for it. They, they've got to have time to process. So they come back a little while later, and you're like, oh, I'm not talking to you anymore. I tried to apologize to you, and you didn't accept it. No, again, that's the arrogance. It's having the spirit of humility, of, of recognizing who we are in God, that we're dependent on him. Broken like anybody else. You start with, a, uh, start with humility. The second step is you've got to uh, communicate your intentions clearly. Listen, when you go to bring reconciliation, you don't have to rehash everything that went wrong. You don't have, the goal isn't to, to write all the things that have gone wrong. The goal is not to, to get to the bottom of every issue and make sure everybody... No, the goal is getting that relationship right. The goal is being obedient to what God has called us to do, which is to pursue reconciliation. So when you approach that person, be clear in your intentions. Hey, listen. Listen, we've got this issue. My my goal here today is not to go toe-to-toe over every disagreement. My goal is to emphasize the priority of this relationship. To say, I love you. And I want to restore this relationship. I want to find healing in this relationship. You've got to be clear with your intentions. You don't have to solve every issue, but you have to emphasize the importance of that relationship that God has called you to restore. Third step, you, I don't care if you're the person that's been wronged or not, you have to be ready to extend forgiveness. Listen, that's hard, isn't it? Because many times we feel like we're the one that's been wronged. We feel like we're the one that has been hurt. Isn't that probably one of the reasons why we don't seek out reconciliation, it's because we always are the victim. We could all spin every scenario to be the victim, right? Well, I'm the victim. They wronged me. You need to be willing to own your part and to own more than you actually were responsible for. For the good of the relationship. Through the example of Jesus. Don't hold their sins against him. Love like Jesus loved. You walk into that and say, listen, I'm, I want to take responsibility for what I've done. I'm sorry for this. You can't force reconciliation. So don't seek rec- reconciliation and hoping that they're going to apologize for every dumb thing they did to you. No, you approach reconciliation, you emphasize the priority of the relationship, and you take responsibility for what you've done. You do the right thing. You do the thing that you're supposed to do. And here's step number four. This is probably the most important step. It's kind of cliche. But number four is you let go and let God. Right? Like, I can't promise you that if you follow these steps, that the relationship's going to be restored. I can't promise you that things are going to be fine. But what I can promise you is that God loves you. What I can promise you 
is God wants you to experience freedom. And here's what happens when you take those steps towards reconciliation. You are able to, to give it to God. To say, God, you told me to pursue reconciliation. I can't force it to happen. But God, you've told me to pursue it, and I follow these steps. I want to pursue that reconciliation. So God, no longer is it on me. Now I'm going to give it to you. And God, I'm going to trust that you're going to bring things, figure things out, that you're going to work things out for my good and your glory. That is the freedom that God wants us to have, to no longer hold this thing in our heart, to no longer give our enemy that foothold into our life, but be able to say, God, look, I've pursued reconciliation. I'm giving it to you, and I'm trusting you now, and I'm moving on. And that's where freedom is found, not in holding on to that anger, but just trusting that God's going to work things out. Let go and let God. Anger. Man, it's a big deal, isn't it? It gives a foothold into our life from our enemy. It destroys those around you. Anger is something that absolutely has to be dealt with. And I'll be honest, as I was looking at this text, one of my questions was, how can I stand up in front of the church and preach a message on anger, knowing that this is reared its ugly head of my life in the last couple of weeks. I just don't feel like I can stand up here with authority. And I'm sitting in my office on Thursday thinking, how am I supposed to teach this message on anger? I think the Lord spoke to me on Thursday. I think the Lord said, hey, you know that whole thing about the cross? You know that thing about Jesus going to the cross and taking your sins upon himself? Kevin, did you know that includes anger? Did you know that includes anger? In fact, I felt him saying, Kevin, this sermon, this sermon isn't about you. It's about me. It's about what I've done. It's about what I've, I've accomplished. It's about what I've handled for you. sitting in my office. It's like God lavished me in grace and love. And I can stand up here today boldly preaching you a message from the Bible knowing that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But knowing that through these hard words that I'm willing to embrace, that I'm willing to learn from and follow, that God is chiseling some of this hard stuff off of me. That God is changing me. I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. And I know that God is working in me to help me to grow, to become more like him. And guess what God wants for all of us today? Is that we would take these hard words and embrace them. Say, God, I, I'm in. I'm in.